This podcast is brought to you by public.com, the investing social network. Public is a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors. There are a few investing apps out there, but here's what's different about public. There are social features that allow people to share and discover new ideas, and the app supports responsible investing habits, so they don't encourage day trading, nor do they offer margin accounts or options. Features like safety labels on potentially risky stocks give members more complete context. Public has also opted out of payment for order flow, so they don't sell your trades to third parties. Public's community is about 40% women and 45% people of color, so its members come from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. Conversations on public span deep dives into new IPOs, as well as general insights on financial wellness and category trends. You can even use group chats to build investing clubs with your friends. Head over to public.com to sign up and start with a free slice of stock. Get going with as little as $1, and if you're looking to transfer your portfolio over from another brokerage, they'll even cover fees for accounts valued at over $150. Some fine print, valid for U.S. residents 18 years and older, and subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. Hi, everyone. It's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. And in this episode, I am joined by a special guest, John Pitts, Global Head of Policy at Plaid, a company we all know and love in the Fintech Today community. Um, I brought John on because I sent out a tweet yesterday. I don't know if you guys have been following this, but there's been a massive recall for Peloton treadmills. Like it's a really big deal. Anyone that has a Peloton Tread Plus can send it back uh, with a full refund. You can have someone come and place it in a new room for you. They have stopped selling Tread Plus until they fix this issue. Um, and initially they said that, you know what, it's fine. Like kids shouldn't be by treadmills. Like they didn't really work with regulators too much on this. And now of course, regulators have asked them to do this recall. And I sent out a tweet saying, what can fintechs learn from this? Like it sounded like a funny tweet, but I really think there is a lesson to be learned here. And of course, John Pitts, who knows policy very, very well, jumped in with some very interesting thoughts. John, I won't steal your thunder here too much. Um, so what, what do you think Plaid and others can learn from what has happened to Peloton? So uh, uh, for those who uh, aren't following either you or me on Twitter, and if, if that's the case, why not? Um, the, the two most important lessons to my mind are, uh, one, the regulator is not your enemy. And two, when something is going wrong and you figure it out, fix it yourself instead of fighting it, because it will always be cheaper to just fix it and deal with it than to fight and have someone impose a fix on you. Because that, like, it is possible that you will not have it imposed on you, but fighting is expensive, and then having it imposed on you is can be even more expensive down the road. And I guess that's the end of the podcast, right, Julie? Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. We did it. Great. <laughs> Record timing, two minutes. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's an important lesson, right? And I think that there there have been fintech companies in the past that have tried to fight things. And there's obviously been consumer brands that have tried to fight things as well. Have So in your experience, like 
so the second Peloton heard about this, like what should they have done? Just like quickly instated a fix and like how does that translate to fintech? So if a fintech hears from a regulator, what should they do right away? Yeah, so so this is great because the one drawback of Twitter, well, there's probably like 100 drawbacks of Twitter, but one of the drawbacks of Twitter is there's not a ton of nuance in the 280 characters. So uh, let me talk a little bit more about the like once you see a problem, fix it yourself rather than fighting it and waiting for someone else to fix it. Um, the reality is, and I think a lot of fintechs know this and know this deep in their soul, you understand your business better than the regulator understands your business, right? And like, you should be trying to close that gap all the time by constantly talking to regulators, even if they are not your regulator, if they may become your regulator one day so that they can better understand your business. Because it is, uh, it is not their fault if they don't understand your business. It is your fault if they don't understand your business. And no matter how good a job you do in trying to explain your business, you are always going to understand your business better than a third party, right? That That's why you run your business. And the problem that uh, can often happen for fintechs is when you understand your business and you get crosswise with a regulator they are going to want to impose a fix that they think makes sense from a sort of consumer protection and safety and soundness, whatever the angle is, that makes sense and works for your business or, you know, doesn't totally destroy your business. Their understanding of what a fix can be and how that fix interacts with your business is always going to be worse than yours, right? And so like, the first thing I would want to do if a regulator sort of came with a question or came with a concern is start working on my own proposal for how to fix it. If I like do your due diligence, make sure it is actually a legitimate concern. But like regulators have limited resources. They don't come knocking on your door for the hell of it. Like they come knocking on your door because they really do think there's an issue. Um, and that means you need to take it seriously and you need to start working on what you think the fix is, because proposing your own fix to something is always going to be a better solution for your business if it also works for the consumer and meets the regulator regulator's concern than a proposal from a third party who just doesn't understand your business, and particularly for high-growth startup fintechs, where your business is going, right? So that that's sort of the much more unpacked, nuanced uh, uh if I'm being generous to myself, if I'm not being generous to myself, wordy answer to that question of like, what should you be doing? The first thing you should do is figure out what you think the right fix is to the problem that works for your business and meets the regulator's objectives. And you you had a really interesting quote there that I want to unpack a little bit, is if regulators don't understand your business, it's not regulators' fault, it's your fault. And a lot of businesses in fintech are really hard to understand. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and um, <laughs> uh, not just hard to understand, but genuinely doing something net new, right? Like, I, I, I it's hard to really oversell this point that many regulators are deep, deep experts in uh, regulations from the 1960s or 1970s, right? Like I remember when when I was at the, so I was at the CFPB before I came to Plaid. Um, and one of the things that we were doing was sort of a debt collection rule. 
and the existing debt collection laws that had not been updated because the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act didn't have the ability to update until the CFPB was created were rules for how to collect debt by telegram, right? So like there are people who are deep, deep experts on how you can collect debt by telegram, but not a lot of debt collection by telegram happening these days. What there isn't is a rule for how to collect debt by email, right? Because you just have a regulation that hasn't updated in 50 years. And if you truly believe your business is doing something net new, you need to understand that that net new is sitting on top of a regulatory structure that sometimes can be frozen in amber and just not even comprehend the net new thing you're doing. And that's your job. Your job is to be able to explain how those two things interact with each other. That's incredible that they're still trying to learn about like debt collection by telegram and, and whatnot. Um, so we, we all knew that regulations move very slowly and that just brought a whole new meaning to that phrase. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what have you seen fintechs do that, like, are there examples you have of fintechs doing a good job at explaining their business and getting th things across to regulators? I know a lot of them have policymakers, both in-house and out um, like outsourced in DC these days, especially over the past few years, as fintech has become a bigger and bigger thing. But what have you seen, and you don't have to name like an exact company if you don't want to, but what are exa some examples of fintechs, what they've tried to do that has worked well and things that just have not really gotten the point across to regulators. Uh, yeah. So um, I think there's a there's a bunch of good examples of what fintechs have done well. And it's funny, I actually, I, I saw a uh, someone commenting on this on Twitter maybe a month ago. They were like, man, it's, it's so weird. All these fintechs who aren't regulated want to go talk to regulators. And like normal businesses don't do that. That's bizarre. Like uh, if I'm a bank, the last thing I want to do is talk to my regulator when I don't have to. Like why do they want to do it this way? And, and I do think like this actually gets back to my, my first point, regulators are not your enemy. I, I think that that's something that a lot of fintechs intrinsically understand. And I think one of the reasons uh, the fintechs have been good at understanding this is um, they're often outsiders and they're not trying to stay outsiders forever, right? They're trying to uh, become mainstream financial services. And part of being a mainstream financial service in this country and every country, because financial services is the most heavily regulated area of the economy, except maybe healthcare, um, is that you are regulated in some kind of way. People are not going to have their money be unregulated. They're not going to have their financial lives be totally outside the scope of government. And so there's a, there is a real element of being engaged with regulators is an important legitimacy signal for us that I think a lot of fintech sort of get intrinsically. Um, I'll go a layer deeper, though, and say there are a couple of things that I've seen that work really, really well that a couple of companies have sort of have uh, been real champions of. Um, one is just sort of aggressive transparency into your business model and also forcing transparency on other people's business models. Like there's, there are some great fintechs in the remittance and sort of cross-border payment space where their business proposition, basically that they make cross-border payments easier and cheaper, is really tightly aligned with uh, 
sort of their policy proposition, which is other people, not us, have really opaque pricing models. And it means that the consumer gets screwed because the consumer never knows what they're paying for a cross-border payment. Um, we think that should be more transparent. We are therefore going to be transparent ourselves ahead of regulatory transparency, and we're going to force the issue on everyone. I think that kind of approach of basically committing yourself to the rules that the regulation you want would have ahead of that regulation is something that a lot of fintechs have uh, seized as a tactic and is a really good one. And the cross-border payment space, I think, is is a, a solid one. Am, am I allowed to slightly toot Plaid's own horn in answering this question also? Or is <laughs> always, that... Always, always. Okay. So... Um, with a mild toot of our own horn, um, when CFPB did a notice and comment on 1033, right? Dodd-Frank 1033, it's the rule that lets consumers access data. It's the lifeblood of not just Plaid, but the entire fintech ecosystem that's built on this data portability. Um, Plaid said, hey, hey, we think we should be supervised by the CFPB. Right? We think we should have regulatory oversight into our business. We think the business is really important to consumers, and we welcome that supervision as sort of part of our responsibility in the ecosystem. Um, that sort of represented a real journey from for Plaid from like a, hey, we just build the pipes to, no, we're actually sort of a a network with three really critical stakeholders, developers, banks, and consumers. And given the complexity of those relationships and the value we think we bring to the ecosystem, we think there should be some oversight there that makes sure it works for everyone. The other element of that is that's sort of us raising our hand and saying, this is the way we think we should be regulated, right? And the reason I think that's a really good strategy is, you know, if you don't have an idea of how, it, if you're in financial services, you're going to be regulated some way. So it is better for you to think, what is the right way to regulate me, knowing my business, as opposed to waiting for someone who does not, again, doesn't understand your business, uh, doesn't understand the market as well as you do, to think, well, maybe this is how we will regulate you and have that be the wrong answer, right? So it is better to sort of, pick your regulator, pick your regulatory environment for your ecosystem rather than have it imposed from outside, if you've got the option. Well, I mean, Jamie Dimon says none of you guys are regulated fairly anyways. So, you know. <laughs> I, I, so I will not be, I, I won't let you bait me all the way there, but I, 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 I will do it a little bit on the like, this This is also a nuanced point on the, the regulator is not your enemy. So I, uh, you just moved uh, to to uh, beautiful Austin. Uh, did you switch banks when you moved? I did not. Okay, so so you had your banking relationship. When you picked that bank to put your deposits in, um, did you review their loan portfolio, like who they're lending their money out to? Uh, I did not. I know I use a challenger bank, so I know which bank it's technically at versus the quote unquote challenger bank that I'm using, but that's as far as I got. But your deposit, and this is like, I, I, I hate to do, be like too basic here, but this is something that like we all know so deeply that I think many of us know it so deeply that we forgot it. Like your deposits aren't sitting in a box somewhere at that challenger bank, right? They are being lent out to someone else. And 
I think the one of the reasons you are comfortable not knowing who your bank is lending that money to and not reviewing like the loan portfolio is your FDIC insured. So like if something goes wrong, what do you care, right? Like I, I've got FDIC insurance. My money is not at risk. That's a regulation, right? And it's a huge regulatory advantage that banks have is the ability to take FDIC insured deposits. So the regulator is not your enemy. You often like, you will definitely complain about the fact that, oh my goodness, like we have to do all these exams and there's so much oversight and it's, it's it limits the velocity of our business to some degree. But that regulatory burden is a price you pay for a massive regulatory benefit in establishing trust with your customer and having that trust backed up by something. And I think in fintech, ultimately, all of us are in the trust business more than anything else. And regulation is not an enemy to that trust. It is a support structure to the trust that you've built with your customer. And I think that a lot of regular regulators, excuse me, do have a lot of trust for fintech companies too, because I think it was like yesterday or the day before that the Fed weighed handing fintech companies more access to its payment system. It's not going to do that if they're not regulated and it doesn't trust them. That would be a recipe for disaster, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's a really, really exciting development. And I say that even though I haven't had a chance to read it yet, uh, so I, I cannot give like the hottest, freshest takes on it other than I, I think any fintech who really sees their future as core financial services should be thinking about commenting on that because this is another incremental step in the direction of the Fed saying, how do we bring fintechs into the fold? It's it's funny, too, because we are uh, we are just over one year out from the first crack in the door opening on this front, which was... During the PPP loan uh, program, the Fed said, actually, we're going to give fintech lenders who are making PPP loans indirect access to a Fed uh, balance sheet in order to back those loans. That was the first time that the Fed had sort of acknowledged the existence of fintech lenders as real players. And a year from then, we've got this proposal that seems to be opening the door a little bit more. No, I think it's a really important development too. And your good friend, John Collins, is the one that sent it over to me and be like, hey, check this out. This is really a really big deal. Um, and you guys are always my go-to when it comes to anything <laughs> policy and regulation and whatnot. Because like, I don't want to like have to dive into all these things and read the boring stuff myself. You guys can do that and then you can digest it for me and tell me it in a really fun way. I mean, the only disagreement I'll make there is that the the documents themselves are really fun, Julie. Like I am I am literally going to spend <laughs> my weekend sitting on my porch with a lemonade reading uh, Federal Register notes from the Fed. And if I mean, that's really exciting stuff. You know, I'll just take your word for it. I think I'm okay. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining me very last minute on this too. Once you have your lemonade and read through all these papers, we'll have to have you back so you can digest this too. We'll have, I, I would love to have you and the other John at the same time, but we're going to have to do like John P and John C or something because you both, guys are both great and you're friends, but like you're both John. So I'm like, John, what are your thoughts? It gets so confusing. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like a good podcast to me. Like Julie, John and John or Julie and the Johns. Oh, uh, that's... <laughs> 
we'll just make it a regular thing like every week once like all right what's up in regulation this week we got the johns and julie to talk about it <laughs> uh i'd sign up for that i don't know if i would listen to it but i would sign up for it <laughs> oh man well we'll have to think about it we'll see how this episode does and if it does well that that bodes well for this this podcast idea that we have yeah so everyone uh, smash that like and subscribe button uh not for me <laughs> but for julie because she is actually like genuinely your best source of information on what's happening in fintech uh she's who i listen to and follow all the time so oh well thank you it's me and the lovely writers that i have for me as well yes. we, we're good on that front we're uh, good it's always it's always the team not the individual mm -hmm, exactly um well thank you john we will have you back again soon um because i'm sure there'll be more and more developments in regulation but that is it for today's episode of tux time and like john said if you like this go like it go hit a review and give it five stars. We would love to have more reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, however you choose to listen. Um, otherwise, I will see you next time. Thank you, John. Thanks, Julie.